0: This is everyday life. In Bel Air. In Adroid. Baltimore. In Harford County. You drive. try to be on time. You work hard. Hang out with friends. Play. Run errands. Cook. Go to bed to do it all over. Could this ordinary life somehow be more? Mean more? Matter more? Wherever you live, whatever you do, you were meant to live a life on mission. Hello, Martin. Hello, what's up with that? I say hello and everybody laughs at me. What's up with that? Glad you're here. My name is Ben. I know some of you are probably brand new and guests here. Really glad you're here. It's a great day to be here. And uh, just want to say probably what someone else, I believe, has probably already said to you. Welcome. Glad you're here. And uh, we're, we're rocking our way through this thing called Life on Mission. It's going great. How many of you enjoying and feeling challenged or getting some stretch out of this a little bit? I hope your hands are up. I can't see all of you. I'm going to be depressed if you're not because I think it's, I think it's great material and it's really helping us. If you uh, don't already have the material, you can grab a booklet today. There's a daily devotional thing in there for individuals. There's stuff for families, small groups doing together out of this book. Also then in this book, there's some more extended reading and really good material there. Our friend Tim Harlow, who wrote this stuff, is going to be here in a couple of weeks to, to share with us. It's, it's great stuff because it's helping us think about that statement that Mark Twain uh, said that we've, we've noted a few times, they're, they're, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Because the truth is, you know, we're not just here to suck air and take up space and then make our cemetery donation, right, at the end of time. Jesus says, Jesus says that uh, in, in God's Word in Ephesians 2, it says that you're God's workmanship, you're created on purpose for Him to do good stuff, In fact, the way that Jesus said it to the Father was, He said, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. Jesus has given you a mission in the world. And it turns out it's the same mission that God gave him. God sent the Son. The Son to the Spirit sends us. And the same mission. And Jesus, the way he summed up his own mission, Luke, Luke 19, he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Whatever is far from God needs to be brought near into real relationship with God. Now we understand that part. The part where God sent Jesus and he has a mission. We get that. What this is helping us do is get it through our thick skulls that, guess what? We have the same mission. It's not just Jesus' mission. It's our co-mission with Him, the way Jesus said it in Acts chapter one, verse eight, He had lived His life, He had died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now He gathered His disciples in His new living, uh, resurrected self. He said, "All y'all come together. Here's the deal. I'm going to send some power, and when I do, you will be my what? What's the word? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. You're on mission." Start right where you are in Jerusalem. Start in your own Jerusalem. And let it spread out to to Judea and Samaria. Those are the places where people that are a little weird, a little different than us, people we're uncomfortable around. But then let it go even to the ends of the earth. But it starts out by you being a witness. He doesn't ask for prosecuting attorneys. He doesn't ask for judges or juries. He just needs witnesses. People who will give witness to who Jesus really is. That's our one job. Sometimes you hear an exasperated boss say to her employee, come on, I gave you, I gave you something to do and you didn't do it. You know? yeah, I gave you one job. Have you ever been assigned like one job and you flubbed it up? Who's done that? Yeah. If your hand's not up, you're lying because everyone's done that. <laughs> everyone's done that. Like, I got, in fact, I got a couple, couple of examples of what that would look like. Like Take a look at this guy. Here's a guy. He had one job. Put enter only and do not enter on the door, right? And he, he put it on the same door. He had one job. Okay. How about this one here? Here's your job. Put up the juicy bacon display. Mm, puts up the juice. Bacon flavored juice, I don't know. You have one job. You have one job. Here's your job in, in the produce department. Put the watermelon stickers on the watermelon. One job, that's all I'm saying. How about this one here? Make, make me a really nice third place medal. That's your one job. <laughs> Do that job. Thirst, Yeah kids going, can you see the kid coming home? Mom, <laughs> my friends are making fun of me, but I took thirst place. Anyway, maybe it was a drinking contest. Some of you don't get it, is it? Like, get it? Thirst? Anyway, okay, whatever. None of those are as bad as this one here. I'm telling you what, this one here, you got one job, <laughs> install the toilet paper in the bathroom. I'm telling you what, that's a problem right there. Friends, Jesus could not have been more clear. You got one job. You are to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth. Live for me. Your 24-7, 365 job, if you follow Christ, your one job is to live for Him on mission all the time, which means Jesus is alive in you and you're connecting people to God. And that may sound like some really unattainable, out-of-reach thing for a lot of us like some super spiritual deal. That's what I love about the materials called Life on Mission. It's what I love about the Bible. It's what I love about Jesus is it breaks it down into steps and practical stuff that every single one of us can do because we're all meant to live a life on mission. And so that's what we're doing as we're moving through here. And one of the things we're saying is let's get one concrete action step, a step that every one of us can take every week. Week one we began and the action step was basically the word who. Supply the answer to the question, who is it? that God is placing on your heart that's far from God, but maybe close to you. Who do you know who doesn't know God? Who, do, who is in your life? What's the name of the person? Write it down. Carry it with you. Put it in your phone. Who is that person who doesn't have a real or vital relationship with Jesus at all? And maybe you could be influential in that regard. Who is it? And then, last week, we moved into these you know—these other ideas that surround life on mission. The first one was Connect. How important it is to connect. And Luke helps us see that how Jesus was so great at this because he was just good at being a friend to people. And that's what it means to connect. And that was always Jesus' method, was just relationships. Being a friend through relationships. He hung out with people. They never felt like projects. And he, he was friends with people, especially those who were far from God or those that the religious people didn't like. And he's like, well, duh, it's only the sick that need a doctor. And so he was just a friend. He hung out with people. And so the action step for last week was kind of multiple choice. Kind of went like this. The action step that everyone could do, if you haven't done it, I hope you will do it this week or make plans to do it. Here was the action step. Throw a party. Just like Matthew. Invite some people over. Just throw a party. Or go to lunch. Or start a fire and invite some people over to stare at it with you. But one way or the other, throw a party, eat some lunch, or start a fire, one way or the other. But get together and hang out with some people. If, and by the way, as you're completing these action steps, I'd love to hear your stories. We've got some great stories coming in. And if you've got something that's kind of, you know, this is what happened, we'd love to hear about it. Here's the address Life on Mission. Life on Mission at MountainCC.org. Okay, tell us about it. We'd love to hear about it. Today we're going to see if you want to live your life on mission, it's more than just connect, it's about serve. Everybody say serve. That's where we're focusing today. Serve. It's so important for us to grasp this because I think, here's the deal, sometimes we kind of get this mistaken assumption that if if God's going to use me in my life to be influential in anyone else's life for Him, then it's going to be because of our smooth words, you know. It's going to be because of my in-depth Bible knowledge and my quick recall and my ability to wow someone with a persuasive argument. It's going to be because of my impeccably flawless Christian life that leaves people clawing toward me to say, how can I find Christ and be like you? And if we really think those things, see, those are the actual reasons that we therefore don't really find that we're that useful for God because that all seems out of reach for us. And if that's our one job, then maybe we can't do it, we say. So here's the really super cool truth of today. And that is that the most effective influence that you and me and every single one of us can have, is is very often not with our mouth at all. It's with our hands. It's with our life. It's through serving. It's what you do. And serving, my friends, is something everybody can do. Because serving really boils down to just being thoughtful and we can all learn to be. Even if we're selfish now, we can change that. Serving boils down to being kind and noticing something that needs to be done. Jumping in, lending a hand, caring and being practical and doing something kind for somebody. That's, that's Jesus' stuff. And it's crucial to your life on mission. I remember that quote that Theodore Roosevelt quoted was saying, people don't care how much you know until that you finish it with me. Know how much you care. So serving. Serving. Which reminds me, of course, of tennis. I've been playing a lot of tennis. I like tennis. And you could say, I love, love tennis. Well, honestly, you know, you got the extra hour of sleep and you're still either dull or mean. I don't know why. I mean, it's, I know it's not that funny, but you could at least give me something. Okay? You know, I'm getting older, but I'm still trying to improve. I just, I want to see, I want to have a net gain in my game. Are you with me? I'm just trying to see if you're with me. Tennis is good for me because I'm kind of high strung. Yeah, it helps me keep a grip. I don't want to have a stroke. You get my point? I thought these would be a better hit than that. Okay. Just want to see if you're with me. All right. So here's what I've learned about tennis. Um, if you want to really play competitively and you want to get better at the game, you, you've got, to, I had to, improve my serve. You've definitely got to work on your serve. If I'm going to be effective at tennis, I've got to improve my serve. Anyone, Anyone can take a ball and sort of bat it over the net. Uh, and just kind of flop it. You know, anybody can do that. Where you, where you just take a ball and you just kind of like that. But what I've learned is that there's a whole lot more to the serve. I want to be able to, um, I want to, be able to have a better serve and a more effect, I want to be effective at the game. And so I went to school on it. I watched some YouTube videos. I talked to some coaches. I talked to some players. I, I listened a lot and I practiced a lot. I learned there's a whole lot to the serve. Some of it starts with your feet and how you stand and your positioning and your grip and not too tight, not too loose. And how do you grip the racket? And then, and then a lot of it is your toss. Where's your toss? Out in front or is it over behind? Where is it? And, and you're cocking your racket back a certain way. And for me it boiled down to three things that I really wasn't doing before here's what they are first I learned that I've got to keep my eye on the ball when I toss I've got to get it tossed up and keep my eye on it because I was kind of thinking about where I was going already so I keep my eye focused on the ball was number one number two for me I've got to have something in my mind not just my eye on the ball I've got to have in my mind a certain kind of swing thought I've got to come over the ball so I kind of come over it and put that spin on it and that I'll get that kick that I'm looking for see so it's not just my eye on the ball, it's my mind and what my swing thought is. But then also, I was noticing when I watched myself on film, I just kind of was hitting like that. I, was, I wasn't following through. You watch a good tennis player, boy, they put that thing up and they follow through like that. And, you, and then you just got to put it together. You got to practice. And for me, those are the three things. I got I to I keep my eye on the ball, I got to think about my stroke, and I got to follow through. And, uh, and then you just practice. If I were you, I'd heads up out there. See? There it is. Not bad. Sorry about that. Hey, take that out of that lady's mouth, will you? Sorry about that. See, there it is. I'm just going to have three things. Basic. Ooh, sorry. Did you get that? I can't see too good. Get my lawyer here. What are you laughing at over here? There you go. See? Keep your eye on the ball. There you go. Okay, so there you go. Friends, here, here's the thing. If I want to improve my tennis game, I've got to improve my serve. And if you are at all serious about walking with Jesus... If you're all serious about that, then you're always going to be improving your serve. You're always going to be working on your serve, because it's so central to who Jesus was and what He's about. And guess what? When you serve, it opens doors. It opens hearts. And just like for me, there were things for my eyes. Where was I focusing? There were things for my minds. What was I thinking? And there was some follow-through to it. It's the same way with serving the Lord. It starts with where your eyes go and what you're focusing on. And for us, a lot of it is so simple, that we, but we still don't do it. And that is just remembering we've got to look at Jesus and model everything we are after Him. That's what a disciple does, you know. They follow Jesus. They, they let their life be changed and patterned After how Jesus was so it comes into conflict sometimes with the way we want to do it but you watch he's our YouTube video and we've got to change some of the way we're doing some things but it starts with keeping our eye not on the ball but on Jesus and let his attitude and actions come inside of us and then flow back out through our lives on mission you know Jesus friends are all with him one one time and you know they're they're like all jockeying for position, like kids in kindergarten trying to get out in the recess line first. Me first, me first, kind of jockeying like this, all getting up in front. After he's taught them and demonstrated so much to them, it's like he's kind of disappointed in them. Can I be first, Jesus? When we go to heaven, can I, have, can I ride shotgun in the heavenly chariot? You know, I just want to be next to you. Can I be important when we get up to heaven? And he's just like, oi, these guys. He says, you know, Mark chapter 10 he's kind of disappointed. He says in the way that they're hungering after the power-mongering leaders in politics or the religious society of their day and he, and he says not so with you. I thought you'd be different. You've got to you've got to learn to be like me. He says so the son of man, Mark 10:45, the son of man didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life away as a gift to save many people. Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And you've got to focus on that, y'all. If you're still living your life and your microprocessor and your brain is primarily telling yourself every time you enter a room or a conversation or any setting, what about me? Hope people notice me. What about me? Hope they treat me right. Don't talk to me that way. Or what about poor little me? Or that's not fair. Or me, 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 me. Then you've got to improve your serve. Because the me stuff... Puts you in the center. And Jesus wasn't that way. As we interact with people, we've got to learn to come into a conversation not just wanting to be heard, but to listen. Not just wanting someone to console me, but to console. Even in the midst of your hurt, you help others. You serve. And in that process, you yourself are blessed. Not just wanting your agenda, but figuring out why someone else cares about something and maybe doing it their way. Not just telling you my story, but... Hearing yours, not just being served, but serving. So that's where we keep our eye on that kind of Jesus, and it leads to an attitude. It leads to, like my swing thought, I had to think about a certain thing, or the serve's not going to go well. Same in our lives. There's an attitude. I love how Paul says it in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four. He's talking to us, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So each of us should have the mindset of Christ Jesus, who, and then he goes on in verses 5 through 11 to to paint a picture of Jesus, who being in very nature, God, yet threw all that away temporarily in order to humble himself lower himself took upon himself the form of a servant and that servanthood of Jesus actually led him to a cross where he gave his whole life for us this is the Jesus we focus on and this is the attitude of humble service that we adopt if you want to really follow Jesus and Jesus put on a serving clinic with his whole life one night especially it was actually close to his death and he knew it was coming And he gathered his disciples together they had a They had a custom in those days of foot washing. You probably know about this. Maybe you remember this story. So they'd all gather there for their meal. Normally they would have a servant go around and wash everyone's feet in preparation, sort of a customary thing, sanitary thing, and hospitality issue. But no one had hired a servant. They didn't have any, just a bunch of guys getting together for dinner. And so no one was going to lower themselves to do that. And so there they sat, all of them, in a circle with smelly feet. Someone else's job. The person who's supposed to do that didn't show up. You ever been in a situation like that where there's, there's something going on that's obviously a stinky situation that someone could do something about but no one's going to lower themselves and do it? And that's when Jesus, the Lord of the universe, says, I'll do it. He takes off his garment. He puts on the, the apron of a servant. He goes over and he fills up a basin with water, grabs a towel, gets down on his knees goes around and works out the stuff between the toes of 12 guys. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots. John chapter 13, verse 13. He stands up. He says, you know what? You call me teacher. These are words for us, guys. You call me teacher. That's great. You all want to go to church and learn from Jesus. Great. You call me your Lord, like I'm your boss, like, like you're going to take orders from me great, well you should because I am your teacher and Lord but if I your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet you should wash one another's feet I've given you an example and you should do like this what I've done for you I reckon it was pretty quiet in that room, don't you think? maybe a little embarrassing for them but you see what Jesus did there? He combined his attitude of humility. He wasn't a, there was nothing that was beneath him. And he was the Lord of the universe. And yet he didn't just feel attitudes of humility. He performed actions of serving. And the two always have to go together. That's the follow through. If you, if you are busy as a little bee serving your guts out all day long but your attitude stinks and isn't filled with humility, it's really about you. If you're serving in a way that others notice you and think you're awesome, then it's really about you. You're trying to impress God or get rid of your guilt or work off some past sin. Then you're not serving like Jesus yet. Attitude matters. Do it in an attitude of humility. But it's attitude and action together that counts and looks like Jesus. So if I'm humble, is, is I'll get out in my attitude, but I never actually do anything. Sit around thinking humble thoughts isn't what Jesus is after. I've got to improve my serve by what? Following through. I've got to do something. That's why in the mountain work, mountain walk we say we've got to get down and get going. Get down means humble yourself, lower yourself so you'll, you'll be humble enough to do something. But then get going, do something. One's the attitude, one's the action and both of them are in Jesus. And if you want to live a life on mission, man it starts with improving your serve and it starts right there. Getting down and getting going humbling yourself in attitude and action. If I can make a suggestion to you, I'd say we need to start this at home. Because how odd and maybe even inappropriate if we were all about serving in our Jerusalem and our community and across the world on mission trips if, if we never were kind and compassionate and thoughtful to our wives or our children, our brothers and sisters or our parents our roommates, the people in our complex. So let's start it at home, but then don't let it stop there. Let it flow out of you and continue. Not just here in the Christian little fold in the holy huddle where it's acceptable to serve, but wherever wherever God shakes you out of the salt shaker, where is He sprinkling you? Wherever the light of Jesus is in you and meant to shine, where is that? in the connections, and the relationships that He presents to you as you hang out by the fire, go to lunch, or throw a party. That's where service opportunities always come up. little kid came home from Sunday school kind of confused and said to Mom, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not understanding some things right here. Mom, I'm kind of confused today. What's the matter, honey? Well, she said, the teacher said that God is bigger than us. Is that right? "Oh, that's right, honey. That's right. God's bigger than us. Well, Mom, the teacher also said that God is inside of us and lives inside of us. Is that right? That's right, honey. God's inside of you. Well, Mom, I don't understand because if God is bigger than us and God's inside of us, wouldn't He show through? Yep, you'd think. That's pretty much the idea, isn't it? That, That the Lord Jesus so much bigger than our puny-minded little self-oriented selfish ways would come into us and be bigger than our small hearts and flow out of us in service that's just like Him. Is Jesus shown through? Something's shown through in all of our lives all the time. Is it Jesus? Is there anyone far from God who might see that in you? Your thoughtfulness? Your kindness—that's how God opens doors. I'm so convinced of this at, at a big scale. You know, the church today needs serving because um, can we all just un- we we understand that the church needs some new PR today. The church is is falling out of favor with a lot of people, and so uh, what, uh, apologetics is the field where Christians try to devise an apology, an explanation for the faith to sort of come up with arguments that help us understand why believing in God is rational and reasonable. And so that's what the field of apologetics is. And what I'm here to tell you that in our day and age, in the field in which you and I have been called to live on mission, you know what I believe the most powerful apologetic is? Serving. Serving is the new apologetic for our age. Actions of kindness and service make the strongest argument for God. The, the best case for God today in our world is not often made with words. It's made with acts of service and love that actually make a difference in the world. That's what people care about. I want to draw something out for you that I hope, I hope will kind of explain a shift that's been happening in recent years. And, and it will help explain maybe this shift and how important this is. I'm going to draw something like this. It'll, I'll write the word Christ here... And then community. And then cause. Christ refers to the, the spoken proclamation, the method of our the center of our faith about Jesus as Lord. That's that's what the church has to offer. Community is our fellowship. The the way the church gathers in a special kind of people and cause, that's our mission. That's the thing that Jesus has given us to do. And when you go back to the 1950s or so, the the leading edge of of the way we tried to connect people to God was in this sequence. All of these things are important, but what you lead with matters based on the time you live in. And this is how we did it. And for us what that meant was we're going to lead with proclamation or spoken word about Jesus. And, and, and so that's why we would send people to a Billy Graham crusade. They could hear Him talk about Jesus and be drawn to Him. That's why we had tracts or pamphlets in our pocket. We would have memorized speeches or, or little things we would say to people to try to convince them to come to Christ by saying some words as quickly as possible. And the upside was that That method and that approach yielded some fruit. Some people in this room probably know Christ today because back in the day, many people in our culture knew the Bible and they respected the Bible and if you quoted Scripture to them, they'd say, wow, that's convicting and it moved them. And it encouraged believers to understand and know their Bibles well and be ready to give in a defense of it. The downside of this approach by leading with that in the past. In hindsight is that it, in all likelihood, pushed as many people away from God as it drew toward Him. With our heavy-handedness and sometimes our overzealousness, trying to ram something down someone's throat, get them to say certain words where nothing really was changing in their heart. Sometimes people began to feel like projects, like we were after them not because we loved them, but because we wanted a notch in our spiritual belt to fulfill some spiritual quota. And worst of all, perhaps... It left a lot of Christians feeling like they weren't equipped to help people find God this way because they didn't know the Bible quite like that. And so we began to relegate it to a few specialists who did it, the evangelists, those pastors or other people. And we forgot that every single one of us is called to a life on mission. And what happened along about the, the 19, maybe 80s or 90s is we began to see a shift in the way that churches began to think about things. And we began to lead with community. Because there was a transformation happening in society and that was that authentic relationships mattered a lot more to people in those days. And so we began to say, you know what, you don't have to believe everything off the bat. You can come and belong first. We began to accent how churches are communities and it's the small group movement that began. And we said you can belong first even before you believe and it was really important that we did so because fewer people in that culture knew the Bible and those that did didn't care what it said if you started by the saying the Bible said and proclaimed Christ it didn't didn't sink in but people were welcomed into community that meant something to them and then often some of you found Christ that way and joined the cause the mission and what's happening in our time and it's been going on for several years now is another shift that's vital and this is what I want you to grasp is that this is the time in which we find ourselves and we've shifted. All these things are important and, and, the, and they don't mean this is first and second, third in importance. They're all equally important but you've got to change what you're doing in order to be effective in your serve. And This is the time in which we live now. When the most effective strategy for connecting people with Christ is leading with our cause, the mission, the serving of people, just like Jesus did. Drawing them into a community that they'll find winsome enough that in that process they will be led to Christ. And many people in this room right now and hearing my voice have been led to Christ in just exactly this way. Cause, then community, then Christ and it's important I think to recognize that in the time that we live right now causes are things the world cares about very very much culturally in American society we care about bringing change and making the world a better place don't we everybody cares about that all of a sudden in a way that we haven't exactly in the past the environment is fragile and tenuous does anybody care about that question the world wants to know we've got all these poverty questions Does anybody care? Kids are going to go to bed hungry tonight and wake up tomorrow without clean drinking water. Is anyone doing anything about that? There's sex trafficking all over the world. It's horrific. What's going to happen with that? What about the orphans? What about the homeless in our own community? What about people who are lonely or sick or or struggling from addiction or hurting from death or loss or loneliness? Can't we do something and we've given up on the government to do anything about it? Guess what? All these pressing issues that the world cares desperately enough about, that celebrities and even Donald Trump and everyone else is getting on board with. That's our stuff. That's the very stuff that the kingdom of God is about. It's the stuff Jesus called us to do. That's our cause. And we need to lead with it. And the way you do it is humble service, just like Jesus called us to. That's how we do it. We meet every weekend in all these locations around this county. We meet and we do this christ Proclamation, and we have our great community, but there's 186,000 people in this county alone who drive by here every weekend who don't give a flying flip what goes on in here, right? But remember the weekend we, remember the weekend we, uh, we said, hey, there's some kids in Haiti with no shoes, and families there that need our help. If you have a pair of shoes on and you want to leave them, leave them. And we left so many shoes on front of here we had to ship them out of here in huge trucks. Shipped them all down to Haiti. And we walked out of here barefoot and went to the restaurants and around town. Everybody's like. What's up with you? Tell me this story. And suddenly they cared. We had a story to tell. And there was a person that was here this morning who's a Christ follower today because they were at Applebee's and saw a family walk in barefoot and said, now that's a church I'd go to. See, it's the best apologetic. It's the best case we can make. You also remember the example of Hurricane Sandy just a couple of years ago. One thing we all hated about it was the devastation, especially further up north. One thing I loved was that nobody said, hey, is Mountain going to do something? Everybody knew. We were. The only question was, what are we going to do and when can we get started? And Before we had a chance to even organize it, we just organically happened. People brought a semi and put it out in the parking lot and people were bringing water and clothes and food and all kinds of stuff and we organized and we took a trip up while the Red Cross and the government was still trying to figure out what to do. We were up there with police escort under cover of darkness, 14 of us in the first of what would become 50 trips to Coney Island and other places in New York City. We just showed up. I'll never forget that first night. We're there and we're unloading stuff and hugging babies and putting stuff on people and it's the middle of the night. There's this generator with this big light, still dark. These people are shell-shocked. It was awful circumstances. And in the middle of that, somebody got wind of it, sent a news team over. And Because I got a big mouth, they shoved me to the front of the crowd and there I am standing there and they put the mic in my face and said, who are you guys and what's this about? There's a, there's a, there's a line behind me with people just passing water that you all brought. And I just said, well, we're just people who love God, love Jesus Christ, and we weren't hit as hard as you all, and we just wanted you to know that God hasn't forgotten about you, neither have we. hope this helps a little bit. We're Jesus followers from Maryland. Back to you, Phil. <laughs> Alex Lozada is from New York City. His parents were watching that night, and they called us. We saw you on the news. We saw you on the news. He said, the cool part is this. Do you have any idea how long it's been since we've had any positive press about the church of Jesus Christ on on a new station in New York City? We said, well, good. Sometimes we just need to show up and shut up. Show up and shut up. And the cool thing was back here at home, people that we've been trying to proclaim Christ to finally got involved in a cause and that drew them into a community of people that were so filled with Jesus that now they're following Jesus too. Friends, that's the way it works. And that's why we do what we do. Can I just read to you an email that came this week? Or no, it, when did it come? came the end of October uh, 29th from Detective Sabrina Kennedy from the New York Police Department. Today marks the second year since Hurricane Sandy. It happened so fast. The flooding of the streets of the Coney Island was terrible. So many people lost their homes and apartments. The entire shopping area was destroyed. There was dire need for basic living necessities. I wasn't sure where to go or who to call on. I asked God, please help me and lead me in the right direction because the community was counting on me. He led you guys directly to me. Mountain Christian Church, you were there. And there will never be words to express the gratitude I feel for what you've done for the community that I serve in. You gave light to a dark and dreary community. All the many donations, your smiles, your prayers, your hope. I thank you from the bottom of my heart. I will always remember the smile you put on the faces of the Coney Island community. Detective Sabrina Kennedy. Amen. Friends, that that's that's improving your serve. That's why we do what we do and and why we do it the way we do It's why we go on mission trips. It's why we sponsor kids. It's why we do Cherish the Child here at Mountain. It's why we we do Joy Prom for special needs families. It's why we we host funerals for fallen soldiers and, 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 and officers. It's why we love on Edgewood and have so many programs and community things that we do in Bel Air and connect with agencies all over this county. It's why we, we, we uh, adopt schools and care for them and provide lunches every week for under-resourced kids in school. It's why we show up with Christmas gifts for families that are having a tough time like you'll have an opportunity to do in a week or so. It, it's, 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 why we, it's why we build habitat houses. It's why we put that roof on that elderly woman's home. It's why we bought that power wheelchair for that family. It's why we are engaged with homeless people every single week. It's why we have prison ministry. It's why we reach out and have celebrate recovery for people with addictions. It's why we do divorce care and reach out to families that are hurting. It's why we do nearly everything we do. It's why we had three different locations of trunk or treat and gave out about seven bajillion pieces of candy in the last seven days. Because it's the way Jesus did it. It's the way our time needs us to do it. It starts with you. Not just when we're all together doing big things. Because salt, if it was really meant to be globbed up in a, in a pile, the shakers wouldn't have those little individual holes. We'd just unscrew the lid and put a whole bunch on. But you know how salt works best when it's sprinkled where you need it. And that's what happens after the sermon's over. Where's God sprinkling you? Where's the light of Jesus that's in you going to show through when you walk out of here? Servanthood starts now in your Jerusalem, which is your office, your school, your, your dorm room, your family, your carpool, your block, your street, your team. It starts with you. The best argument for God isn't with words. It's with, it begins with actions and love. I saw something in a book that I loved so much I wanted to share it with you. I really liked it, so I adapted it. Kinda of listen, imagine this picture and think about your own life on mission, okay? Imagine a street in an average city, in an average county, in an average country, if there is such a place. A street like yours, perhaps. And then imagine person X. Call her Martha or Mike. They live in that house on that street. Next door is a Hindu, across the way is a Muslim. Over here behind is a is an atheist, across the way an agnostic, and over here someone from Pittsburgh. Now just imagine, Mike and Martha, they become a Christ follower. I mean, not just in a way that's sort of casual, like I'm going to go to church, but they try to absorb some of who Jesus is and start following His teaching, taking seriously some of what He says, and they start living out some of His kindness. They start living out some of the servanthood and the goodness and the caring, taking Jesus seriously enough that actually following Him, they believe they can also become a compelling force for good in the world. What if that happened? There's a change in Mountain Mike's life, a change in Mountain Martha's life now. They're becoming more generous. They're becoming more compassionate, more forgiving, more thoughtful, more loving, more practically useful. They're improving their serve. Now, let me ask you a question. Are they becoming a better or worse neighbor? If we're her neighbors, if we're Mountain Mike's neighbors, we're thrilled, right? We're thrilled about their new faith because we find ourselves more and more grateful for neighbors like that. This isn't a neighbor who's going to throw you know, dog poop back on my doorstep. This, this is a neighbor who, who is kind and thoughtful and pleasant and this is a neighbor who, who pulls in my garbage when I forget or takes my mail when I'm out of town or, or you know, helps me with my lawn and borrow my ladder. My wife was sick and that and, and this neighbor brought over Royal Farms chicken for us. That's the kind of neighbor I I, I like. I wish there would be more like that. Can you see what's happening on that street? The good news of Jesus is good news for Mount Mike and Mount Martha. But the good news of Jesus is good news for Mount Mike and Mount Martha's neighbors, too. It just is. It's good news for the whole street. The good news for Mount Mike and Martha is good news if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, but but it's also good news for those who are not Christ followers. It's good news for the whole street, friends. And if it's good for the whole street, then it's good for all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's good for all of Cecil, Baltimore, and Hartford counties. Friends, if the gospel isn't good news for everybody, it's not good news for anybody. But that's how it's supposed to work. And so one of the most powerful things we have is our willingness as Christians to simply surrender our desire to convert someone. Surrender our desire to convince someone or to change someone or to, you know, fix someone. Surrender our fears about evangelism, proselytization. Jesus didn't proselytize anybody. Instead, can we just be like Jesus. Surrender all of those things and be like Jesus who connected with them and give ourselves away in radical acts of service, compassion, expecting nothing in return. That's how you improve your serve. That's how you put Jesus on vivid display in your relationships. Serve someone, be a friend, hang out as you throw a lunch, start a fire or have a party. Let your light shine, let God sprinkle you and you will find yourself being His witness. So, he'll show you. So, let's get real nut level practice, practical as we get ready to leave. Something really just concrete as an action step. Let's think about our hands. Go ahead and take a look at your hands. And then think about Jesus' hands. You know, the hands of Jesus were not so much different than yours. Most of us have ten fingers, he had ten fingers. And yet, with those hands, he touched lepers, he embraced the lonely. He used his hands on the ears of someone who couldn't hear, the eyes of someone who couldn't see, and they were healed. He held a lonely, shooed-away child. Jesus gave a cup of cold water. Jesus used his hands to serve and to love. And your one job is to be his witness, and to do that you've got to improve your serve. And if you're going to do that, let's make the action step this week with our hands. Here it is. Use your hands to serve somehow. Everybody can do this. Use your hands somehow to serve. Do something with your hands. Extend it. Extend them to someone who's far from God. You'll think of some way, won't you? How are you going to use your hands? To serve. Some of you will will rake leaves. I mean, there were no leaves yesterday and then all of a sudden, boom, they're here. So there's there's leaves, not a rake. Some of you will maybe put air in someone's tires. Some of you will... Change oil in someone's car. Some of you will chop wood or stack it or deliver it for someone because that's a thoughtful thing for someone and it might just open a heart. Some of you might make some food or buy some or drop off Royal Farms chicken to someone with the flu. You could write an order of encouragement or you could wash a car. You could put down some mulch. You could hold a baby, offer to to babysit for a family uh, before they get home from work. You could use your hands to be a neighbor. When, When the garbage truck uh, it picks up the garbage. You could rush out there and time it so you can carry the canister up to your neighbor's driveway and say, Here you go. And maybe you'll strike up a conversation. When you bake, maybe you bake something extra and deliver it to me. I mean, to, to a neighbor that needs it. <laughs> Sometimes just a note, you know, use your hand just to write a note. It can go a long way. I'm so proud of our fourth and fifth graders. We call them Mount 54. And uh, this, they have a friend behind bars, a friend who's incarcerated, and they've been close to this guy and taken time to stay in touch with him. Well, the friend behind bars is trying to be a light and be a witness and live his life on mission with all the inmate buddies of his. And so this last week, here's a picture of our fourth and fifth grade kids. They wrote letters to every single one of his buddies behind bars, and then here they are laying hands on those letters and praying, God, will you use our little letters to do something big in those guys' lives? I bet they will. I bet God will. You can be a witness like that. Use your hands for something. Maybe it's a text that you write to someone who needs it or a Facebook post that you hammer out. Or maybe you tutor kids at the epicenter or you're going to show up next Saturday for a second Saturday serve, 8.30 every week. We just go out and serve in the hands of Jesus. That's all we do. Show up. Maybe you're going to share some of your food for Thanksgiving. Maybe, maybe you'll see some, some way to provide a Christmas gift and we're going to provide some opportunities for that shortly. Maybe, you're, maybe you get your hands dirty being part of bodybuilders which is where guys and gals who are, who are good at repairing and you know, carpentry and skills electricians and plumbers and so forth get together and just do things to help. But use your hands somehow. It doesn't always have to be a new assignment that takes a lot of new time. Right where you live and work, you can do it. But it's an attitude. You know, some, some are going to want to wave signs, hoping that will point people toward God. But the truest sign that points people to God The truest sign of Jesus' love is when someone who follows Him does an act of humble service. So use your hands somehow for God this week, will you? Let's pray. God, we thank You for this powerful reminder from Your Word that we are, we are Your body. We're the body of Christ. Jesus, help us to remember that you have no hands on earth but ours. No eyes on earth but ours to see the needs. So help us, Lord. And for the sake of your mission, the sake of Jesus, help us to use our hands for you this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.